are dreamers, leaders, entrepreneurs, creatives, and so much more. We are Supernovas. What's up, everybody? I'm GB, and this is Conquering the New World, a show that combines the life lessons told in anime with our shared experience. In today's interview, we'll also take a closer look at Cowboy Bebop, a funky, ultra-cool, futuristic anime that undeniably creates its own path in the world of anime. Making its debut on Adult Swim September 2nd, 2001, Cowboy Bebop becomes the first anime title for the Adult Swim program and consequently also becomes the early introduction for many of us fans to begin our relationship with the industry and art form. Cowboy Bebop has a style of its own, which is defined by kung fu fight scenes, western-style gunfights, space battles, and super smooth characters. Adding to this, the beautiful animation plus an unmatched musical score, you have one of the most unique projects ever in the history of anime. Today's guest, Sir Michael Rocks, brings the same vibes in his story of becoming a superstar. Since the start of his career has one half of the Cool Kids hip-hop group, Sir Mike has always been known to exist in a lane of his own. For music, fashion, streaming, and anything else he decides to put his hands on, is blessed with a futuristic vibe mixed with nostalgic callbacks. Sir Mike is definitely a man who lives in two different time periods, much like the main character of Cowboy Bebop, Spike Siegel. Spike is creating a new life for himself. He quits his role as a hitman for the Red Dragon Syndicate, fakes his death, and joins the Bebop crew. When we start the story of Cowboy Bebop, we start with Spike, a man determined not to be a prisoner of his past. Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and how you became an entertainer, became the personality that you are. I have been um, pretty much, you know, uh, raised writing songs, uh, playing music and stuff since I was a little kid. Um, I had a uh, cousin who came over for the summer one time when I was about nine years old, I think. Yeah, I was about nine. And he brought this um, karaoke machine radio with the microphone attached to it and like little tape players and all that. And he brought that over with him uh, for the summer. And he had figured out a way to like record on it, you know, as opposed to just doing karaoke. So he uh, he was already recording tracks, you know, on the karaoke machine, basically. And, um, you know, he brought over a bunch of instrumentals and stuff. And at this time, you know, I had never rapped before, um, but I saw him doing it and it looked cool. And my older sister was doing it. And it, I was like, damn, that's tight. I didn't know like real people could rap. I thought it was like, you know, some superhero thing that only, you know, the superstars could do. But he was in my room uh, just recording, you know. We started recording tracks on this karaoke machine and, um, you know, I look up and we got about four songs to like Tupac instrumentals and Nas instrumentals and just whatever, you know, whatever we had. And um, that's when I kind of found out that I had a real passion for, you know, rap and, you know, recording and producing and that kind of stuff. So from there, um, I just kind of kept kept at it. Uh, I would go on later to join different like little rap groups with my friends and stuff. Um, me and my sister would rap, uh, my brother, like 
it was just something that I was real passionate about. Like um, some kids was like, you know, they really wanted to hoop or they really wanted to play football, really wanted to draw, or maybe they were, you know, really smart academically or all these, you know, different, uh, different hobbies and, and talents you pick up as a kid. Um, but with me, I wasn't really interested in none of that really. Um, I was good at school, but um, when it came to like different sports and stuff, I was athletic, but I would always quit. Would you say you had a problem with authority? It was, it was more like, I just didn't like to work. <laughs> I didn't like to go to practice. I didn't like to uh, run laps. All that shit. I wanted to go to the game and play in the game, but I didn't like all the uh, surrounding work up into the actual game. So practice? I would find myself. Yeah, I would. I would quit Straight everything. I played. <laughs> right. That's like, for practice? real. We talking about practice. I was like practice, nah. But um, yeah, I, I would uh, just find myself not wanting to put in the work because I truly wasn't that passionate about it. I liked it. It was fun. Like I played every sport. I played basketball, football, baseball, ran track, volleyball, swimming, uh, fucking. I don't even know what else, but we played everything in my house. Um, and I would never be that in love with it. I would be like, I can't wait till practice over so I go to the crib and play some video games, bro, or like watch some. It kind of sound like you just did it because you was good at it. Honestly. Yeah, I was just doing it. And that's just what, especially, you know, growing up in, you know, the south suburbs of Chicago, um, you know, it's just something that everybody did, you know, and it's it's not something you really thought about twice. Like either you were playing sports or you weren't. But for the majority of the you know, kids in my neighborhood, everybody's just doing it just because that's it was just, just what you did. I think especially in our age range, that's a that's a big thing for us because you know, I look at younger people like, you know, um I got a I got a friend. He's always talking about his younger cousin. He don't have to like try out for teams or be on little league or do any of that. Like he doesn't have to be right. outside. His parents don't care if he's inside all day on his phone and on video games. And you know, like that shit was a privilege to be able to sit inside and be on your on your video game the whole day. Like you, you damn near had to go out and um, yeah go play ball or hang out with your friends or do something like be out the crib and be away from the parents. Yeah, we was forced to be outside. I want to double back real quick. You said, um, so like you were writing, but you got into music, you know, someone else brought it around and, and you touched on like the, the passion. I, I want to ask yeah. like, when, when did you know you had the passion for music at that point? And before that, did you have the confidence? Cause I feel like this is not something that you walked into going, Oh like, yeah, this is me. This is what I'm finna do. But, you know, if, if anyone talks to you right now, like when we spoke uh, before in person, you you were a pretty confident guy. Like you you seem like you're sure about yourself and like what you're doing with your art and how you're creating. But were you on that same vibe at first? Did you have like insecurities? Did you just walk in knowing like this is what I'm going to do? Is it one of them stories where like from the first time I picked up that mic, bro, the first verse, <laughs> I, was, I knew this shit was for me. Yeah, no, actually, uh, the complete opposite of all of that. I was really shy wasn't confident um i was writing raps where you know to learn how to rap you do that by imitating other rappers basically and imitating shit and like just picking up things from around your environment so i was writing raps that was sounding like you know a 
30 year old grown man from this block bro like you know it wasn't me it wasn't my voice i was just saying shit and trying to mimic those people that i looked up to and um i was really shy with it too because i was writing cuss words and stuff in my raps too and i was still pretty young so i couldn't really let adults hear it or read my rap book or nothing because i was cussing and talking about shooting everybody up and all these crazy things that you do when you learn how to rap um but no i was not confident i did not just immediately know that you know it would be something that I would take throughout my entire life like I have so far. Um, I didn't know if I would just try it out for a little bit and, you know, forget about it or if it just wasn't a, you know, an important part of growing up or our social circles in, in, in life as kids. Like musicians, rappers especially, like that wasn't really a thing you know, by the time I got to like junior high and all that, it was like, are you good at basketball? Are you really smart? Are you good at football? Can you fight? Uh, are you good at drawing? Like those type of talents were the ones that people really recognized back then. Nobody really knew no rapper. So I don't think that people was given. Uh, well, actually, I like I, I would make a case that until Soldier Boy happened, nobody was really looking at rap as like. Uh, every man's game like anyone can really like produce there and and get in the game like put their shit together and actually like build something and then soldier boy i feel like came along and everybody was like oh damn this could be me bro like i can take my mm-hmm. shit put it up on youtube or you know put it up on soundcloud which wasn't out yet but like put it up on soundcloud yeah, soundcloud and, rapper and, and make this shit happen and that shit was she a, was a myspace rapper actually shit right yeah. myspace yeah before yeah myspace so like at the time I feel you because you're probably looking at it, but like how many people have you seen randomly just come from that space? And that speaks to the to the whole like like you didn't have that confidence at first. But at what point did you have that moment? Do you do you remember that moment, that first moment where you're like, I was built for this shit or I have the passion for this? And and what made that different from everything you were doing before then, all the sports you played and everything else you participated in? Were yeah, I would say I hit one of those pivotal moments um, in it's about sixth grade, I believe it was like sixth grade. Um, I was probably eleven or twelve, and um, there was this there was this rap group in the neighborhood called Majestic, right? And it was like older dudes and um, people, you know, two two grades above me, one grade above me, and stuff. And they was like the hottest rappers in the neighborhood, you know, and they used to throw these real crazy parties and stuff. And everybody always wanted to, you know, go to a majestic party and hang around and do all that type of stuff. Um, my boy, Shorty K, he actually uh, he was in the same grade as me, but he was always really cold at rapping. And um, they, you know, basically, quote unquote, like signed him, you know what I'm saying, to the majestic record label. Um, and me and him had been messing around with raps and stuff uh around that time too and you know he would always tell me like dog man you you sick like you're actually really good you should uh you should holler at phil that was the leader of majestic he said man you should holler at phil and and, and get in the group man get in the group with us um i think you could do it and i was shook though because he was like the only person i would like rap with and rap in front of and stuff around that time because i was still you know pretty shy with it but 
uh, he was like, no, nah, you cold, bro. Like, you should, you should, you should holler at Phil and see if uh, if he'll let you in the group, man. Go do an audition or something. Basically, it was like a damn audition. And um, they were having a party that weekend, and um, you know, we pull up to his house earlier that day, and he, uh, Shorty K, he was like, yeah, man, it's my, it's my boy, uh, it's my boy Twan with me, man. He he real cold at rapping, man. Can he come? Can he come to the party tonight? And then he was just sitting on his porch. He was just looking at me. He was like, man, I don't know, man. Is he is he cool? Like, I don't know, dude. Like, he he ain't no lame or nothing, is he? Like, I don't know who this is. And, you know, I'm just kind of nervous. Like, damn, man, I hope he let me come. And then he was like, well, shit, all right, I guess he could uh, he could fall through if he come with you. So I was like, all right, bad, damn. And then I started getting geeked up because I'm like, damn, we're about to go to the Majestic Party. They was, you know, about two years, two grades older than us. So to go to an older kid party in like sixth grade or whatever is pretty a uh, big deal back then. Oh, yeah. And um, we was geeked up, you know, so get to the party and... Uh, obviously they got a cypher eventually going on in the party so I'm like damn this 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 is probably my chance right here you know what I'm saying so uh it got to me in the freestyle cypher and um I got on you know got on and did my verse and spit some shit that I wrote yeah I didn't freestyle I obviously had to you know cheese it and lie and I was like yeah yeah I freestyled that but it's some shit I had wrote and uh it ended up, you know, it went up. Everybody was like, damn, we're going crazy. Like, dude was, you know, there's like, he nice with it, he nice with it. And um, Phil, uh, again, who's the leader of Majestic, you know, after I kicked my verse in the freestyle and, you know, everybody in the party was kind of, you know, feeling it and it was going up. Uh, he was like, all right, man. So, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we could, we could we could let you into Majestic then, man. And from there, I just, you know, found my confidence and, you know, uh, just kind of kept going up from that point, man, because I just needed to get some acknowledgement from somebody I had respected because everybody in Majestic could rap. They was all cold. So to, uh, you know, get that recognition from them, that, that gave me a lot of confidence as a kid. And I kind of started to, you know, find more of my identity with rap after that point. You auditioned in a Chicago house party. I'm just imagining you in the basement and shit, bro. Like it was the basement, bro. It smelled like cats. It was <laughs> wet down there. It was like laundry all over the place. It was it was all type of shit. basement. Yeah, of course. It was unfinished oh, basement. Uh, and oh, and we was, he was throwing parties down there, like it was rocking, like it was but busting that's how in be, there, bro. That'd be the best ones if you if you lucky enough to get that juke and shorty like. Let you get freaky. She grabbed the pipes above you or something, and you get to like <laughs> go crazy, bro. <laughs> Them the best memories you ever made in your life. So you you do the audition and you get on with Majestic, and does everything just take off from there? Like, is it a dream come true instantly, and you just start like you get found after that, or after after I you know uh, got into Majestic or whatever, uh, we ended up making. Um, we made a CD that summer and uh, to, to be that young and back in those times and to actually like record, uh, produce and make a CD was it was super like, I would say, ahead of the curve and advanced. Um, Phil was really smart and he used to read like the the back of like the Source magazine and Double XL magazines and stuff where they had the advertisements. And it was an advertisement for this company called uh, 
CD baby or something where you can send in your music and they'll make you an actual CD with a, lo- a label on it. They'll put it in the cases, wrap it in the plastic, all that. So it looked like you got real product, basically. And we ended up, you know, all putting our little money in and we got our CD made that summer and uh, it went up. Everybody in the neighborhood was, you know, they was bumping it and I had my feature on like two songs, basically. So, you know, I got my little cloud up. And um, from that CD, um, both me and Shorty K was always on the same songs because we was the youngest ones in the group. And they eventually just ended up making us our own group, you know. So it was me and Shorty K for a minute uh, just as a duo. And, you know, from there, we carried that into like high school, um, from junior high to high school and shit. And... By the time I hit about sophomore year, um, my mom bought me um, a keyboard, like a piano keyboard, and I started making my own beats. And then, you know, me and Shorty K added some more members to the group because we was trying to get on our, like, you know, Dipset, B2K, Lil Bow Wow, you know, uh, boy band shit. You know what I'm saying? Because we was like, we we were trying to get on now. Um, So we had our little... uh, Y'all had them... uh airbrush shirts and shit walking around we 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 all got uh matching throwback jerseys <laughs> that was our uh that was our airbrush shirt we all got matching hey, throwback man. jerseys uh mat- big ass do rags and hats and um you know the nba patch pants with all the nba patches on them and stuff so Which, we went in yeah. to the pod right now that was born after 96 yeah they're not gonna know what that is super fucking fly bro <laughs> It would fly as fuck. This shit would be cutting the edge of fashion, so don't judge anything we're talking about. It was, bro, it was like Fashion Week Paris shit, bro. Like a throwback jersey, NBA patch jeans. Man, we was we was lit. So you was a man with that. Yeah, we we really had shit rocking, man. But uh, yeah, uh, we 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 developed that group. It was called Collabo, and we added you know three more members and shit. A couple of our other friends. And, um, you know, we're making tracks and shit. And uh, this is probably like sophomore year still. And Shorty K ends up bumping into um, some some kind of record label people here in Chicago. It was this dude named M-Doc, some older dude. And uh, we was at my family reunion, actually. And we went to the, you know, throwback jersey store to go check out some clothes and shit. And, you know, they was just in there chilling, all grown dudes. You know how it is back when you work at the cool, like, hip-hop clothing store and shit. They kind of assholes, you know? Yeah, and they just yeah. was kind of looking. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we got Iceberg in here. We got throwbacks. We got all that. Everybody just kind of cooling. And uh, they ended up somehow asking us about rap or something. And next thing I know, Shorty K rapping for them. And... They like are blown away. They called the the other dude that's like the record label guy. His name's M Doc. He like work was doing GCI shit and all that kind of stuff. Call him. He come down like an hour later. He raps again for him and Shorty K ended up getting kind of signed with these folks, you know. And um, he was you know uh, in the studio all the time and just kind of really taking it a lot more serious than the rest of us were. How did that make you feel? I was, it made me feel like I was like a child, you know, cause he was like going to the studio, like consistent work. And I'm like, damn, man, like I'm kind of just fucking around and 
rapping you know every now and then this dude like taking it serious like he's getting real shit happening like he's doing shows and little stuff around the city and you know really making something happen when you were saying your uh, your homie was he was in the studio like every day he couldn't you know play the game with y'all how did that like affect like y'all's dynamic and like did it affect like the group dynamic as well because like he was getting shine but like y'all necessarily weren't that's a good ass question it it kind of split everybody you know um because he was he was going crazy and was just like it seemed like it was just more serious about it than the rest of us were it went in tears of who was serious too like i would say i was the second most serious and then the other guys in the group were below that when it came to who was you know really dedicated but yeah it it, it kind of made them they kind of got salty because it was like, oh, man, you don't even you can't even you don't even want to play, you know, play video games no more. You don't want to go to no party like, damn, like, what's up with you, dude? Like you change blah, blah, blah. all that kind of, you know, all that kind of chatter. And um, eventually, you know, it was all in like jest and kind of joking. But same time, you could tell like people was feeling away you know and it kind of started splitting the group up and eventually uh shorty k he went solo by himself and really started to like blow up and do some shit you know um he ran into a investor that put it you know put them together they got them all the gear all the you know jewelry was putting them in showcases and all that stuff and you know, I'm still just a regular high school kid. And I'm like, damn, man, I got to really, like, turn shit up. Like, I got to turn this up, man. I got to, like, you know, really just kind of find my way. Um, and th that kind of was turning me into another lane. Like, I was thinking of, like, all right, what can I do that's adjacent to music? you know that i could still scratch the itch of you know this passion i have for music but i don't think i'm gonna make it so what else can i do and i started looking at like journalism i wanted to like be a writer for like double xl or the source or something because i was like damn i'm smart i'm a good writer um pretty you know uh pretty 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 good at expressing myself uh articulate and everything in that area so i was like i could probably you know be a music journalist i could probably write for hip-hop magazine so at least i could still be around rap and hip-hop even if i didn't make it as a rapper um and that was like my focus so i was basically just like trying to find my way with that but i was still rap at the same time and um eventually you know shorty k kept doing his thing was blowing up more and more and he asked me to be his hype man you know when he was doing these performances and shows because he was doing shit at like mccormick center and all that and i ended up yeah they had like those car shows at mccormick place and all that shit he was performing at that and he was on the radio he was on gci all that shit so i was like okay yeah i'm your hype man then shit man whatever <laughs> like uh whatever i can do to you know get closer to rap and get closer to, you know, being able to make music. I'm, I'm with it. So I was helping him for a while, uh, doing hype man shit. And this is the end of high school around this point, senior year. So, um, around the same time I had started to get on MySpace, and I was just finding different producers and it just really opened my world up to all these other people that were, 
kind of similar to me because around that time I was, you know, listening to a lot of gorillas and just NERD shit, um, postal service and like, uh, I was just real on some real alt shit. I was a fallout boy and my chemical romance and all that shit, dude. Like I was just kind of expanding my, expanding my perspective on music a lot, you know, towards the end of high school, like people would be like weirded out and shit and be like, dog, what is you listening to? Blah, blah, blah. Why are you dressed like that? Like, well, why are you like skating? Like I was skating and shit in high school and in my neighborhood, which was 99% black, like nobody was skateboarding like that. So it wasn't really something people had commonly seen. So people would see me, see me like skating down the street and shit and just hang out their car windows and be like, boy, what the fuck is you doing, man? Like crazy. And uh, yeah, I just kind of started to find my own voice and my own like interest. Although he is a man seeking a better future, Spike's ultimate downfall is his inability to let go of the past. Because of this, he never truly gives himself an opportunity to be anything but what he's always been. With one eye on the present and one eye on the past, Spike cannot escape the black hole that is his thoughts of Julia and that which could have been, but tragically, will never be. Spike knows this course of thinking is suicidal, leading further into the black hole, but he still allows the light of his future to be swallowed by the void of his dark past. As viewers, we can only hope there's life on the other side. Spike could have learned a lesson or two from his shipmate on the bebop, Faye Valentine. Faye is a successful bounty hunter with a gift for seduction and a subscription to multiple vices. Unlike Spike, who was trying to escape his past, Faye is desperately trying to remember. When she finally discovers her past, she realizes she's been creating the life that she wants and decides to follow that life here in the present. Sir Mike experiences the tragedy that is Spike Spiegel as his past pulls at him, but he responds with the tenacity that is Faye Valentine as he looks deeper within to find his true self. Finding his true self and figuring out that home is within is a critical experience for Sir Mike as it defines his art and everything that he creates going forward. Doing what I think a lot of people have or what I've seen some friends that aspire to be rappers do instead of like going to found people that have the sounds that they want to create, they just go and assimilate into the current culture. And I think like you made a big step by choosing to go partner up with Chuck uh, and uh, be with a sound that matches your sound and your style and your artistic vision as well. So like, uh, that's a special ass, special ass thing. Nah, for real. It, it really came about from, uh, just my desire to hear the sounds I wanted to hear. Like I couldn't find them nowhere. Like, and I didn't know how to make them. Um, although I did make beats, I, I didn't know how to make the sounds I was looking for. You know, it was a little bit beyond. Yeah. It was beyond my skill set. I couldn't figure it out. So I was like, fuck man. Like I want to rap like this. I want to sound like this, but I can't get it out. You know, I can't get it to, you know, fruition. Until, you know, I met Chuck and then it all kind of, it, it clicked weird and very fast. Like it didn't take very long. We kind of already were on the same wavelength of where we were at with 
fashion culture, with music, with how we grew up and, you know, our perspectives on, you know, the current state of things in the world. We had a lot of similarities there. So it all clicked pretty quick, man. And we were able to really just get down to work, you know, pretty, uh, pretty fast. So it, it's definitely one of them, one of them uh, stories that if, if I had not have like reached out to him, then we would have missed that whole thing, man. None of that would have ever happened. Um, it could have easily been missed. I could have went and found some other producer, you know, and went and worked with them, and we wouldn't be on this call right now. <laughs> Should it be way different? It was really uh, rewarding and like liberating to actually make something happen with this because. You know the South Suburbs, bro, like, you can't do nothing different out there, man. Like, you can't dress different. You can't listen to different shit or they on your head, you know? Like, back back in, especially in those, you know, days of 06, 07, 08 and all that, like, roast culture, roast culture, I feel like, was at an all-time high where it's like everybody's looking for a reason to roast you on something. Like, they trying to... They trying to cap for something like I remember having like the Bapes, those uh the Japanese Air Force Ones, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the Bapes that Nigo and them, you know, all that shit. And um, I remember wearing them to school before, you know, people really was up on them like that. Uh, in high school and um, niggas tried to roast me for the babes and I'm like bro these these is cooler than Air Force Ones man like fire nigga I was like these is fire man then some then somebody came and like you know intervened and was like yo real ones yeah, I had real babes I ain't never seen nobody roasted for the real ones I seen niggas but I'm for the fake ones yeah, they but know, bro. That they, they didn't know. He thought they was fake Air Force Ones. He was like, bro, you got on these uh, fake ass Air Force Ones, man. He was really he was really trying to get at me and like roast and everybody was like laughing and shit. I'm just like holding my face like, oh, are we really here right now? Then, you know, eventually somebody somebody came out and was like, nah, dog, you tripping. I seen Fat Joe with those, bro. Those those Chinese Air Force Ones, man, there's something they know what they were. They was just like, oh, those are Chinese Air Force Ones. Those cost like 300, man. Like, you wildin'. And then he eventually kind of started feeling like dumb a little bit, and then he kind of fell back. and was like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, I guess they, I guess they decent then. I was about to roast you. But I just say that story just to you know, remind y'all of how like kind of closed minded the South suburbs are like, especially back then, like you can't do nothing out of the norm. And um, when I uh, met up with Chuck and we began to like make that music and I finally was able to find that sound and it started to work and it was successful. It was really rewarding, really liberating to feel that because, like, people used to try to roast. Like, they didn't like the way I dress. I had the skinny jeans. I was skating. Uh, I was wearing, like, the old Run DMC dookie rope chains and shit and just looking real wild. So, like, every day I would be out and just doing shit. People would just stare at me and, like, you know, some niggas would think I was, like, sweet. They'd try to fight you know, or, you know, just all types of varieties of, you know, blind, blind hatred for whatever reason, man. So 
it was really uh it was really liberating to, you know to feel good about myself when we started to make some headway with the stuff we were doing and i was looking back and i'll be like man you fucking see i told y'all the whole time like now you doing what i'm doing and everybody started doing what i was doing after that and that's why i was like okay i understand more of how culture and the world works that was like a big aha moment to me because i was like they went from they used to roast me try to fight uh think they could take my girls or whatever uh just try to make a spectacle out of everything i'm doing put everybody else you know in front of me and be like no nah, he ain't he's not that cold he's not the best rapper this is the best rapper in the neighborhood or whatever and you know it was a hard time for a while so when we actually started to make some you know headway and succeed with you know our own style it just felt so good and it really just opened my eyes to how the world works and that's when i you know i never turned back after that moment i was fully confident in my decisions and in my abilities and my talents and i didn't care what anybody else would say after that point i, I knew that i understood how this all worked at that point so let's uh let's take a moment and um let's talk about this successful part of your life that you're experiencing and i feel like at this point that's when the passion and the confidence and everything is coming like at critical mass like it's becoming uh this is it like it feels more like that's did you take any major ills that was a lesson for you as well or did uh, you, major ills from like you pulled everything you needed from the success of the moment and just like what happened in the past and that kind of that i hope moment was enough to put you like on the right track or did you have to like take a shot to the jaw one more time to to like I don't know to to realize that oh like I got it but if I want to keep it I gotta mm. be different. Yeah now that that stuff came a little later. I definitely took a lot of those shots to the jaw. Um but those didn't come till later so I was, you know, kind of riding, riding high on the, you know, the success for a second before I would realize that now that I'm in, now that I cracked through that barrier, there's another one. And that one is like, all right, I've proved my ideas are valid and that people like them and they're cool. And I have the ability, I have the talent, I have the appearance, I got the the know-how. I know what's going on. I know how to do this. After I, you know, hit that point, uh, I didn't realize then it's time to go into like the business game now at this point. Like now it's it's for real. Okay, they said you you good, you got it. Now you on the big stage, like now what? And that's when I started just, you know, having to grow up a lot faster because I was only like 18, 19, you know, around 2008 and, you know, 2007 and stuff. Um, now it's about like the business. Now, now I got to figure out like how to manage this shit and how to maneuver and who's who and who's snaking me, who's good, who's bad. Uh, when to speak, when to be quiet, you know, how to carry myself around others and how to carry myself in public around, you know, whoever. 
So I had to grow up a lot faster. I, my friends was all still going to school. I had already dropped out because I was already going on tour. I was already, I had a commercial already. So I was done with school. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> we're not doing no journalism. We're out of here. Um, so yeah, it, it got it got pretty quick, man. And all my friends were still in school though and still in the dorms. And I would, you know, when I would have my breaks of like not doing shows or we not in the studio and stuff, obviously I couldn't wait to go back and kick it with my friends. And um, at this point I had been like going around the world, like we was doing all kind of tours and stuff. So I was growing up a lot faster than my friends. And I would just notice that we were beginning to be different, um, you know, with our interest and with our, the pace at which we worked and what we were striving for, they just started, we kind of started to become a little different. And um, yeah, it, it just kind of drove another wedge between me and my friends again, you know? So, but this time it got a little more heated cause people was like, yo man, like put me on, you know what I'm saying? Like, I see you doing this and that, like, Put me in the game. Put me on. Uh, give me, get me a record deal. Get me this. Give me that. And I was very protective of what I had created because a lot of people were trying to hurt me at first when I was starting out. Like a lot of people were trying to discourage me. So once I got it, I was very protective. And like, even when it came to like my friends and stuff, if if it wasn't like exactly how I pictured it or what we could create from it, I wouldn't do it. Like I wasn't putting my friends on and doing stuff like that. Cause for one, I didn't, a lot of them just seemed to want to do it because I did it. And it kind of was a little underhanded, you know, compliment slash insult. Cause it would be like, oh shit, if he could do it, then anybody could do it. You know, it was kind of like one of those. So there's like, oh, put me on, I'm rapping. I'm about to rap now, shit, you did it. And I'm like, you don't, you didn't see like, all the years of work that came before this. You didn't see all the different thought processes that came before this and all the decisions that led up to here. You just see the now moment of, you know, I'm getting some shine and, you know, it kind of made me feel a certain way. So yeah, with a lot of people, I would be able to like kind of see through their intentions and I wouldn't want to, you know, be involved with them like that or invite them into my world Cause I was like, I gotta protect this man. And y'all are kind of like just money hungry and trying to get on. It's like, dude, like I, I nerded out for this rap shit for half my life, pretty much. Like this is all I do. I actually like it and love it. And when I saw how people would react and, you know, uh, demand that I make them rich or famous or something, um, it was discouraging, man. That shit kind of, it hurt. Yeah. One of the, you just, you remind me of one of the sayings from, uh, this Spike says all the time in Cowboy Bebop, where um, one of his eyes is uh, fake. So he has one eye on the past and one eye on the present. And mm -hmm. he's always talking about, you know, he can never forget and escape the past that he has, and he will never uh, lose those lessons that he learned. So no matter who he is right now in the present, he's going to always have that person under him. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you really speak into that as you talk about the lessons you heard, you learned and how fast you were forced to grow up. And I think we don't talk enough about, because I experienced, I started traveling 
while I was in college and like trying to not really going international yet, really just trying to go to like small towns and go to places that none of my friends had been to. Like I always had that bug and mm-hmm. we don't talk enough about how the experience of culture and other things really grows you at a faster rate from the people that you friends with. And it starts to create that gap, that separation where y'all not looking at life through the same goggles no more. You still looking at life as, you know, 111th in Roseland. And I'm looking at life as, you know, the U.S. at this point. Uh, and for right. you, you're looking at life as this is the whole world. You're doing business. You're talking percentages. You're doing contracts. You then got smoked a couple times. So now you got the eye out if people sign a shady and they sound like they're going to try to finesse on the, hey, bro, check it out. I'm a yeah. 500 for this 5,000. I got you, bro. Like, I'm your boy. You know me since 03. All that type of shit got you on the caution. And, you know, it's that, that perspective difference in the same sense that, you know, their perspective is maybe they did have good intentions and they start to feel like, oh, you different and you change. And you looking at them like, it ain't none of that, bro. I'm just taking care of my baby, taking care of what I built and what I got right here. Uh, and in the same sense, taking it back to Spike, because he has you know, that one eye on the present, how do I continue to apply the lessons from my past to make me a better me right now? And make this sense of what I'm doing right now have purpose. As you're on this journey, at what point are you saying, did you did you want to transition into doing something different? Did you see yourself wanting to like just rap and tour for the rest of your life? Did you see yourself maybe wanting to get back into journalism and 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 do that at some point? Like at what point did your mind start to say, I want to do more? I want to take what I have and do outside of this lane. Were yeah. That um uh, that that thought process started to come uh, around 2000, like 11. Yeah. Around 2011, I started to think a little bit, a little bit differently. Um, after, you know, after a couple years of us first starting out, we, 2011, we were probably on our like third project by then, um, as the cool kids. And, um, it was crazy for us. I, we, when I was talking about us taking those L's, uh, one of the biggest L's was like, you know, we were supposed to, we were taking all these like label meetings with like Universal, Dev Jam, Arista, all these different companies because it was high and they really wanted to, you know, sign us. But we were on this like indie kick. We was not going. We were, we didn't want to get signed to a major label because we we thought it was just all evil and all a sham and all bullshit and a scam, you know. And they just try to lock you into contracts and slave you out. So we were very firm on our position of being independent. So we're taking these label meetings and stuff because our manager, uh, he, at that time, he was, uh, he was kind of a slime ball a little bit and we was young and we didn't, we weren't able to pick up on the finesse as well. So he was trying to take us to these label meetings and get us signed so he could get his percent basically. So he was trying to really convince us to do that, do that shit. And, uh, we get to these label meetings and, um, we end up turning down 
pretty much everybody. And the next probably two to three months, maybe later, everybody has their own version of the cool kids now. All these record labels. They created the new boys and then they got a fucking this other group and uh then they're dressing Chris Brown like us. They dressing Big Sean like us. They putting uh they just like, okay, so y'all ain't gonna sign, then we'll just create y'all on our own. So we don't need you. And um at that moment I realized again to another level of, you know, how grimy this game can get and how much I really need to be on my P's and Q's and protect myself and protect, you know, the things that are important to me. Cause I'm like, shit, it's, it's a cold game, man. Like, damn, they didn't even care. And uh, yeah, at that, at that moment, it just, it hurt me a lot. Cause I was like, I was like, damn, bro. Like, why not just give us what we want and y'all can have the real thing. Y'all don't need to go create your own version of it. And um, yeah, they, they packaged up the gimmick of it, you know, and they were able to reproduce that and put it on whoever they wanted to put it on. And, you know, that was one of those lessons that I really took to heart and uh, held close to me for a long time after that. Uh, So it made me want to, it made me mad first and foremost. I was pissed. I was like, fuck, man, they always biting. And then I started getting real paranoid. Like everybody always trying to bite, bite, bite. Everybody always biting, like super paranoid and weird shit like that. And um, I reached a point where I was like, I just want to do something that's mine that they can't bite. And I want to do it so fast that they don't have time to duplicate it. So that's when I started making clothes. And I was like, all right, I'm going to make these clothes because I know everybody want to dress like me. Then let me just sell it first. If I make it and sell it first, then it it doesn't destroy me as much as somebody else takes me and sells me without me, you know. So that's when I started making clothes and shit. And it popped off. It was really another successful venture. You know, it really it really it really caught fire and. I'm making these, you know, these sweatsuits and have somehow, you know, hit another milestone of modern streetwear fashion, you know, and everybody is calling, trying to get these sweatsuits. I'm selling now um, people's publicists and stylists. Um, I'm talking like everybody like I gave sweatsuits to like Diddy and Cassie and NBA dudes, all this shit. So it's like really going well. And um, that was the moment that I realized, like, man, it's I'm good at other shit, too, besides just rapping. Like, I really think I could uh, incorporate a lot of my other talents and skills into this machine that I'm creating as well. And um, from that moment, I knew that it's like, all right, I think I could touch on the other things that I'm interested in as well. And, you know, that led me into doing like acting stuff uh of course making clothes and eventually um kind of everything led full circle back into journalism is which is what i'm kind of doing now with our you know twitch stream and stuff and when i realized it i thought it was really funny because i was like damn i 
no matter what, I circled all the way back into where I started at. And now I get to do it how I want. And I get to incorporate, you know, all the talents and skills that I've acquired along the way. I get to incorporate music. Now I'm making music on my stream and creating there and get to scratch that itch. And it's just funny that, you know, after all that time, it led me exactly back to where, you know, where I first started at and it's fulfilling. And I, I, I always think to myself, like every time that I do the things that are satisfying to me, I'm able to succeed and find success. When I try to do something for, you know, the reward or money, or uh, I want to prove something to somebody or I think I'm the shit at it or something. I usually don't win with that. That shit usually don't work. But whenever I, you know, genuinely focus on what interests me and what gives me satisfaction and fulfillment, it usually works. And um, that's what, you know, this Twitch stream and everything has been doing for me for a while now, too, because I was kind of done with music not done in a sense if i didn't want to make it make music anymore i didn't want to play the game no more like that i wanted to just make music and music can just be its own self-serving thing where you know it's one of my talents and if i can have it in a, in, a, in, a, in tandem with my other talents then it'll equal one big successful thing instead of me just trying to be a big successful rapper, I was like, I don't really care for that. I don't care to be, you know, just me be a successful rapper and that's it. I was like, I want to be successful and I also do rap well. And if that can play into it, then that's fine. But for me to get to the place that I really aspire to be, which is, you know, uh, a multi-talented person, multi-disciplined, you know, uh, creator. If I wanted to get there, I would have to use my other skills too. And for a while, I was kind of like lying to myself by denying those other talents and not embracing them. I was kind of just like, no, rapping is working really well. I'm really good at it. Um, I ain't really thinking about nothing else. Like I could just rap, like, fuck it. And, you know, for many years, that would be my motto. And um, it came to a point where I was just like, I got to keep growing how I'm supposed to grow, man. And I got to use the other talents and skills that I've been blessed with and tie those in. Um, I always thought of myself as like, not. You got it. I was going to say. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I once had a had a friend tell me that anytime you don't live out like out loud in your truth, you're doing a huge disservice to yourself. So I just wanted to say that on top of what you're saying, like to sum yeah. that up, like anytime you're not using all your gifts and all your talents, you you're not you're not living the way you're supposed to be living. Like you're not gonna shine how you're supposed to shine. Whether eating bell peppers and beef or recovering from a space mushroom bender, it's all just a day in the life on the Bebop. This acceptance of randomness is exactly the reason why Faith feels at home on the Bebop. She doesn't have to be anything but what she is, and she can be 100% the best of who she is. 
The Bebop is definitely a come-as-you-are ship, which adds a touch of comedy to the series overall when you consider that Jet, the captain, is both level-headed and the voice of reason. On the 10th episode of the series, Jet returns home and comes face-to-face -face with his ex-girlfriend, Eliza, while chasing her fugitive present boyfriend. Yeah, it's awkward. Jet learns the reason Eliza left is because she felt he was too controlling and she wanted the opportunity to make her own choices, even if they were shitty, even if they were stupid. Like Jet, we all encounter moments in our life where intimate ties are severed and new paths are formed after conflict. It's totally natural and quite honestly, it's pretty easy to look at situations and wonder how we can change to fix them, but we also must exercise our wisdom. The wisdom to know when something is not meant for us is an invaluable skill. Sir Mike's ability to exercise this skill helps keep him from growing stagnant or remaining in negative situations. As easy as it is to put the burden on your own shoulders, Mike and Jet's story is evidence that sometimes it's not your battle, it's theirs. Your Twitch channel, your Twitch show, is unlike any Twitch show I've ever come across. Uh, I'll say that. Like, it's a stream. Um, but in the same vein that I want to differentiate the pod from the other podcasts around us, like, I don't want to just do uh, reviews and just chat about things regularly. Like, I kind of want to have more of a content-based pod is the same way that I feel that you're Twitch channel is differentiating itself from the other streams that I've come across on Twitch. There may be others out there like you. I don't know, but I haven't seen them. I haven't come across them. So your stream is like this mix of, it's like this mix of a variety show and it's like a late night TV news special with music and everything else mixed in. And y'all, and then plus it's a good ass vibe. Y'all motherfuckers be vibing on a channel, and I just be sitting there like, they really got good chemistry, G. And that really makes it work, too. Like, y'all could be up there just, like, all the content could be good, but it's y'all chemistry in between, like, how y'all play off each other, too, that just makes it special. It brings the whole thing together and makes it really like a classic late-night TV-type show feel that I get. Like, I feel like I'm watching a Conan O'Brien and um and Andy Richter-type, like, duo that's playing off each other with the jokes and everything. The shit is really good um oh, thank you man uh so i say that to say because i'm talking about it i say that to say uh like everything else you've done it's in this different vein in this different variety and it's great that it always ends up there because you know speaking to what we were saying earlier you're allowing yourself to just be you and living your truth to like focus on what is it that i want to do what is it that i'm good at and like, how do I just do this to the best of my ability? And you're not really focused on doing it for external validations or, uh, you know, material uh, reward is that comes from it, which is always a plus. Like, ain't nobody gonna ever turn down the money. Uh, well, you will, but like, right. <laughs> love, ain't nobody gonna turn down the money. But um, you doing it to feed feed that passion that we spoke about earlier and feed that flame that's inside you. Uh, so like. It's really great and beautiful art, man. The stream wasn't the initial mission, you know, and that's the funny part about it to me is like the stream it just came from 
really me and my boy Owen, who's also like the DJ for the cool kids. Uh, he produces, make beats and sings and stuff. And uh, our manager, uh, who the new manager, not the old manager that was kind of flaky. The new manager, uh, who's both of our manager, he was suggesting, he was like, man, y'all should like, y'all should do some stuff together musically, man. Like, I feel like y'all got a lot in common. Y'all are real like similar. Cause at the time, we weren't really hanging out like that. We, you know, we would see each other at the shows because he's the DJ and we would rehearse and shit. But like, we weren't like that close like that. Um, and our manager was like, yo, y'all should link up, man. I feel like y'all are similar in some ways, man. Y'all should make some music or something. And we ended up, you know, just kind of linking up and starting to make music. And we came up with Mystery School as the band. That was the name of the group, basically. And it just started out as most other music projects do you know we got in the lab we made the songs made the concepts talked about it got our photos artwork did all that shit and um put it together like you know your regular music project and then we would kind of talk about expanding on how we could release this project because i was at a point where i was like man the internet is all fuck. It's fucking crazy right now. Um, this is around the time where Six uh, Nine was on a real, real big run. You know, um, internet hijinks and you know uh, charades were at an all time high. You know, everybody was trolling. Everybody was like getting attention through these very internet kind of deceptive means, like bad turn to good like it was it was good to i guess like do anything to get you attention that motto kind of rose to the top around this time in my eyes uh, around like 28 2018 um, that wave man it's annoying that wave it was powerful man it came in and then it's just like everything is like a troll everything is just Instagram, flex, rent rent a car, act like it's yours, rent the jewelry, Bro. rent the girls, rent anything and just flex and front and lie and just it just became I, I didn't feel like I could play that game like that. I'm like, damn, this ain't really my game. I I, I don't know how I'm a, I don't know how I'm gonna release music in this era. You know, um everything was just always like fake beef beef with try to beef with him and you'll get some attention and get some clout uh lie on this girl say you slept with this person like i came from a you know a school of thought where all publicity ain't good publicity like i i came from that you know um getting flipped so hard getting oh getting like getting beat up and getting slapped and embarrassed and all that, that wasn't good for my, you know, uh, environment. Like we were taught like, nah, you don't want to get beat up on camera. You don't want to get slapped and, you know, get embarrassed. And that flipped and it was the people getting beat up and getting slapped and all this stuff that was popping off and getting the clout and getting famous. And I was just like, whoa, I'm confused now. Like, what do we do? There was people that, you know, obviously you see it with like the 6 9 snitching thing. Like, it was people who did the thing that was historically wrong. Now it's right. And now that's what gets you 
famous and you know followers. Six so, nine has made a whole career out of troll yeah. marketing, and that shit baffles me. Like I understand I how trolling, and I understand how like negativity can get you some viralness, and I even understand how getting beat up can become a thing because it is relatable for some people. Like, hey, this this motherfucker go through real shit, just like me. He got his ass whooped. I can relate to that. Like, <laughs> cool. Like, not every time. He got like, his ass doing, whooped. I can relate to that. You can't do it every time for views, but like, you know, people been there. Like, okay, yeah. bro got bro got caught up in some shit. He got jumped. Like, owning that. He laughing about it. Cool. Um, there was a point in time when no, like, you couldn't be transparent about like I got jumped. I remember Bow Wow got his chain snatched at uh, Evergreen Plaza. Yeah, they lied. <laughs> that shit sent the city ablaze like yeah his whole image changed but like so it was a point in time where you couldn't do that man for whatever reason i feel like with a lot of people that did do the whole snitching thing like people are always trying to find ways to justify it like especially with the six nine thing like i heard mm-hmm. oh yeah they jumped them all they did such and such with this girl so what would you do and, da, 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 da. and it's like okay i understand that part but a lot of this other shit he doing that has nothing to do with that. Like he's literally just doing it just because he wants to do it, and people are following it, and he's getting a lot of hype off of it. Which is crazy, yeah. bro. We talked about it in the episode we did. Uh, we interviewed Mike. We talked about trail marketing and just the fact that it's such a thin line to ride. And like, I don't want to give him props for what he's doing, but like, he's been riding that line for such a long ass time, and it's like. Every Man. time I think like this finna be the end of him being relevant, yeah. somehow he maintains relevancy, and I can't figure it. Like I don't figure no, out. How I, keep I know, I know it to why. Him. The reason why is because nowadays, no matter if it's good or bad, people are so fascinated with what's going on and what's current that they're gonna click on it anyway to look at it. Yeah. And even if you don't care about it, well, now since so many people are talking about it, well, I gotta have it on my show because it's current. And it's popular, so now all you from then on, it's a, it's a snowball effect of people wanting to link up with this person and talk to him. And then it's like, why is he on all these shows? Why is all these people talking to him? It's like, well, I mean, it's current news, like it's relevant. And people, especially on the internet, like we live in an internet era where stuff on Twitter spreads like wildfire. And if you're not caught up and up to date on things, you feel left behind. So everybody wants to talk about it, and there's mm-hmm. really no other choice for him to blow up. But what's fucked up about our taste where we look at an artist that's doing something different and doing something fresh and unique and go like, that shit corny. And then we look at an artist that's just basically just fucking up, doing bullshit, offending the culture. And that's the shit we click on. Um, Like, give that shit our energy, our views, our time, and like, right. you know, low key upping them. Like, it's, that, it's I, I really don't understand us. that concept. It's us. It's really on, us. I be telling I, people, I, don't retweet. Don't like yeah, it. I, just it'll go away. I talk about I talk about that shit with Owen, my boy Owen, all the time. It's just like, bro, it's like if 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 there's anything you don't like, like we're the ones keeping it alive. We're the ones keeping it going, hating on it and being like, oh, I hate that. Fuck that guy. That don't do nothing. Just don't look. Like look at something else. Look away. Look down. Look at your look at a you just, fucking book. You just spread this man's name to how many ever yeah. followers you had. Like keeping it people going, think bro. that people think hating on it and being anti against it and like clapping back at it. Like that's not how you stop anything. You stop these things that you quote unquote hate by 
Ignore looking it. at something you like go look at something you like then like why do we spend so much so much time just watching things we hate all the time like everybody say they hate the kardashians they hate this they hate that i hate six nine i hate you know this person that person but all we do is just look at them because we love to see negative shit you know and well, until we are able to like kind of have some self-discipline like nothing will change it'll it'll remain the same or continue to grow honestly on that self-discipline topic though if you look at it when when six nine is blowing up it's whenever like we're in times of quote-unquote excess when like nothing's going on because like if you look at when at the beginning of the pandemic he wasn't popping like that his stuff was not trending it wasn't going on as soon as like it started to uptick a little bit and people was opening up a little bit he drops a single because he realized all right their minds are off like the important stuff i'm gonna drop something fresh and hot now and everybody's gonna be talking about me and you kind of see that like in times of struggle and stress like people will go through and figure out what's important to them and the antics are not important but in times of like excess when the world's trying to quote unquote open back up again then you see the antics start to come back into play and we care about the Kardashians and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Man, support positive shit that's bumping during the pandemic. We got we got the uh we got Mike's Twitch channel that's blowing up in the pandemic. Put your energy into that if that's the shit you like. Whether that brand be negative or positive, that's subjective because you know that's gonna be person to person with how you view it. But mm -hmm. a brand is still a brand and how they're using it, it's just been interesting to me. Um how you're using your brand right now to tie everything into one machine uh where you you've done the clothing you've done uh the music you've got the twist stream i i'm gonna go ahead and say like your journalism is paying off with the channel too because i know like y'all freestyle what y'all talking about but it's definitely got uh a news like narrative right. and vibe to it at times and like you reporting on pop culture while also making satire of pop culture at the same time uh i'm gonna give the journalist aspect to that all of that is like kind of becoming your brand and you're pushing it out of your own way um what are your main focuses you know has you built a channel like what have been your biggest challenges and like what's your main focus going forward man uh i'll start with the challenges um a lot of the, the bigger challenges that I've faced were uh, just growth, really. Um, just growing the and, and figuring out what I need to be growing, you know, because it's a streams are a weird thing. Um, at first, I thought the goal was to, uh, I guess, basically just get as many viewers as possible you know and then after a bit more trial and error and investigation i came to the conclusion it was like mm, it's not necessarily how many viewers it's the quality of viewers and for how long and for what are they watching you you know because i would do my research on different streamers and shit, and there's tons of people that get like there's people that have you know at least 2000 viewers every time they go live or something but it would be some real like mundane shit going on like they just playing call of duty you know which a lot of people love but 
it would be to the point where it's like, what are they watching for? And I figured out this is like most of the time, especially with, you know, a game or something, people love that game and people love somebody that's good at that game, you know, and they want to watch somebody good at that game. Um, and it's not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily building up a community, you know, it's just people coming to watch you be sick as fuck at this game, you know, and do trick shots and all that. But after the stream goes off, those people don't talk to each other no more, really. Um, those people don't want to hang out with each other. Those people don't like collab with each other on things. It's just they come to watch the, the thing and then they leave. And I started to figure out what was more important to me was building up a community it, it just seemed like being able to have your own self-sustained community would be increasingly important. And this is before the pandemic when I was thinking about this. So as things started to, you know, turn south with the pandemic, it actually turned out a lot better for our stream and how we were growing it and what we were doing and how we were creating our community. Cause it's like now nobody can go outside. So I was like, damn dog. Like I'm glad we started to focus on this stuff before. Cause I know, you know, I got friends, this, you know, successful rappers and stuff now, and they don't know what to do. A lot of them don't know what to do. Music don't hit the same right now. Um, since nightclubs and festivals and concerts and parties are limited, dropping your song ain't necessarily the same effect as it was pre-pandemic that as i grew older just was less and less attractive to me and i was like i gotta find my own way to express myself and to present my brand as myself so that's when we stumbled upon you know streaming and started building our community up the the framework and the path that you took the you going the hard way because if you tell a lot of people that two years is going to be the time they're going to have to work at something before they really start to realize what it can be and what it's going to become you're going to lose a lot of people right there and then if you add in the aspect that <clears throat> so much of this is faith-based on your understanding of what the industry was. Uh, that's that one eye on the past right there because you understand the industry and where you came from. And then you're looking at the present and you see that this can't sustain itself. Um, but it still is that confidence we spoke about and that faith that you're making the right decision to stick with that for two years. It's not too many people that's going to follow that path. So I find inspiration in that right there, knowing that that's the path that you took, the hard knocks path to get where you are right now um it's a beauty in the curse of covid that's happened that's kind of opened the doors for you really to have just this perfect mix of variables that have allowed you to really uh push heads of late and really start to realize that and i'm sure that's a great ass feeling it's just interesting to be able to um end up at a, a space like this, man, because it, it just didn't seem like I was going to be able to make sense of how I could enjoy myself in that same system that I was operating in. I was like, damn, I think this 
this is the last fucking gas tank I got to be fucking with this because it was just so annoying and you know I had gone to a gone through different phases of like you know how when somebody uh, what they say like you go through the steps of acceptance you know like say yeah yeah stages of grief that's it so I had been through that with rap Um, not necessarily I had a questions and then like something i just kind of noticed based off your story but one question i had was earlier you mentioned that um when y'all turned down a lot of y'all deals and how they basically kind of patterned groups after y'all and you were saying like it kind of was an l you took so when you're saying that do you kind of regret not signing a major deal yes and no um i have uh this is the idea that I thought would be, you know, these would be the options. Had we signed to one of those, you know, labels at that time, especially a Def Jam or something where they are very specific on what they want their artists to do and who they are and all that, um, especially when it comes to rap, uh, it could have went one of two ways. It could have went well in the sense of you know, we could have been really, really huge. You know, we might have been able to get that platinum single or the platinum album or something like that. Or another thing that I also think on the contrary side is they might have tried to fundamentally change us too much to the point where the magic was off and people might have not felt it like that. Or we might have just been short-lived you know, we might have came, popped off for a little minute, and then got washed up, you know, quick after that, soon after that. You know, I think it all happened for the right reasons. And uh, I think I somehow was trying to save myself from save myself. Save yourself from yourself, yep. Yeah. You feel me? Because I, <laughs> I don't really regret that now, you know? Now that I'm, I've never really talked about that, to be honest. You're the first person that really asked me that. Uh, Where's Jim Paul exclusive? Right. Yeah. I never really <laughs> thought about that, but I feel good though. Like, yeah, I didn't get the, you know, the M's and I probably could have made a platinum song or something, but I don't think I would be the person I am now. And I'm proud of the person that I am now, um, you know, internally, externally, all that. So yeah, to answer your question, no, I, I don't really regret it. Not like that. Regardless of what happens, all you can control is your life and your personal circumstances. Sometimes you may not even have control of that. We all have an obligation to get in touch with ourselves and do what we feel is best for our lives. The result of each of us following our truth is a reality of chaos. Whether you live your life or not, the universe will continue to expand. This is exemplified by Edward, whose eccentric and wacky behavior is a great mirror of the chaos we experience as trillions of life forms doing what we want to do. Edward was abandoned by her father at an orphanage, and by living a carefree life, she finds her way to the Bebop crew. Late in the series, Edward encounters her father again, who knows almost nothing about her, can't even remember if she's male or female. She decides to leave with him anyway, even though he may not care for Edward as the Bebop crew has, and even though he may never will. Life is circumstantial. People, status, material items, and everything else comes and goes. We are not promised and we are not old. Enjoy the present while it's here, but don't expect it to last forever. Always be ready for what's next and always be true to you.
Mike, Mike, thank you for pulling up and talking with us today. Uh, oh, for we, sure. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, bro. We discussed, you know, how you have one eye on the past and one eye on the present and how that's directing your steps to the future right now. Um, transitioning you with you from, you know, that childhood boy who had a lot to learn about the world and then you end up in the music industry, which traditionally has been, there's many stories out there that have been told about the music industry and entertainment industry in general, uh, the Hotel California of it all, and how you went through that dark industry, so to speak, and the lessons and everything you learned and how it shaped who you are today uh, and brought you to this point where you're creating Mystery School right now on Twitch. Uh, it's a refreshing stream. Uh, it's fully a unique style, and I love that about it, um, that it's different and you keeping it true to you. I hope that that does not change, bro. Uh, thank you. Thank you. No, never that. I'm excited to see how you grow and, like, where this machine that you've been creating, this brand machine that has you put everything together and pull in the fashion and pull in the music, just pull in your creativity in general. Um, I'm excited to see where that takes you next, and uh, I appreciate you, bro. If you got any well not if you but like put your information out there let everybody know how to find you talk about the show pub your shit basically just get off yeah hell yeah okay. um yeah you could you could find uh the stream on twitch is uh twitch.tv slash mystery school us all one word um you can find us on twitch we got our show monday through friday 9 p.m. Central uh, until about midnight Central. Uh, and that's Monday through Friday every night. Um, my Instagram, Sir Mike, at Sir Mike, S-I-R-M-I-K-E. And the Twitter is at Sir Michael Rocks. So you can find me on all the socials. Um, got my Discord and stuff as well. Uh, so if y'all ever on Discord, search up the Mystery School server on Discord. Crazy community. Everybody's cool, funny as hell. So you know what it is, man. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it, man. Just uh, get people pull up to the stream. Check it out. It's pretty, pretty fucking fun. Definitely make sure y'all pull up to the stream. Check it out. Um, Supernovas. Thanks for joining us on this special interview. Uh, in tonight's episode, we spoke at length about finding your passion and allowing it to vibrate from every pore of your being. Uh, I challenge everyone that's listening to the pod right now to consider the purpose of, of life, of your life, um, what's driving you, and are you in tune with your true self and expressing your passions? I want you to take a little time, think about these questions, and... Most definitely, I want you to enjoy this 30-minute mix that was curated by the Worst Gen Pod's very own Panda the Don and mixed by DJ Napalm uh, while working on the next chapter of your life. Enjoy, and until next time, we out. Super. Sayonara. Arrivederci. Yeah.
time, we out. Bye, niggas. Super. Sayonara. Arrivederci. Yeah.